Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Oh, gracious Lord, we pray that your steadfast love would come to us this very morning. Lord, that we would see and hear of your salvation found in the promises in your word. Lord, let us be able to understand that we might be able to give an answer for those who might taunt us, who mock us and our beliefs, that we might be able to do so with gentleness and respect as we put our trust, not in man, but in your word. Lord, let your word remain in our mouth. Let it be in our hearts as we meditate upon it. Lord, let us put our hope and our trust in you. Lord, help us to be able to keep your law not just in a moment, but forever and ever. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to do these things through the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Lord, that we would seek to be able to apply this word to our lives, to be able to bring you glory and honor. We pray in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Jude, verse 19 to 25. I'll be reading uh, the whole section here to be able to help us remember where we are in context of our verses this morning. Jude 17 to 25, this is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved... Building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others from snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Jude, in the last verses of this short letter, starts to address what you might say are positive steps that can be taken for those to be able to contend for the faith. It is important that although Jude might seem like somewhat of a negative letter, as he seems to be able to point out the false teaching and their errors. But this is what has crept into the church. And, And the church is unaware, it's crept in unnoticed. That Jude did intend to be able to sit down and write their letter to be able to talk to them about their common salvation. But as the Holy Spirit moved into him, he felt more uh, inclined to be able to write about these errors that have crept in. That these men or these teachers have been teaching this perverted grace. They've been teaching and denying Christ as their Lord and Master. And because of this, he is now uh, needs to be able to write about these issues rather than about this common salvation. Now, one of the important things that doctors need to be able to do is need to be able to understand the cure for the disease. But a large part of being a good doctor, and this is from my not years of medical training, but years of watching TV shows. 
But the first thing that the doctor must do that is most essential to the problem to be able to cure the disease is first rightfully, correctly diagnose the disease. They, they need to be able to collect all the facts and pinpoint the exact medical condition which they are treating. To be able to prescribe any form of medication is not the hard part of the doctor. The hard part of the doctor is to be able to rightly prescribe the right remedy. And Jude has been spending his large amount of time in his letter doing just that, diagnosing the problem which is facing the church in this time. Jude has been correctly diagnosing these errors, these, these issues that are facing. But now, as he turns to be able to give the prescription, how you then deal with this, the remedy, the routine, to be able to deal with this cancerous false teaching that has crept in. So what are Jude, Dr. Jude's orders to the church that he prescribed? How do you correct this false teaching? Now, one, you might say that Jude is correcting the false teaching by bringing the false teaching to light, teaching where they are at error. But here he teaches us four things that we can do in these two verses that are prescribed by Dr. Jude. The first is that he prescribes to be able to build yourselves up. Now, as we spoke in verse 17, the, the letter changes where he, he changes speaking about they and them and what they have done, but focuses now on those true believers rather than the false teachers. Now, he begins verse 20 the exact same way, but you. He's addressing the true Christians in the church and encouraging them to be able to build themselves up in the most holy faith. Interestingly, Jude does not begin with the false teachers and how the believers should deal with the false teachers that have crept into their churches. He does get there. But the focus is pointed back on the true believers. What are they to be able to do first? Again, any good sermon is not a good sermon that is preached for the person beside you where you nudge their elbows and say, hey, listen to this sermon. This is for you. A good sermon is one that cuts straight to the heart of what you must do. And Jude does that in this passage. But he explains his first prescription is that you must build, believers must, should build yourselves up. Now one aspect that is missing in, in, in an English translation is merely just because we don't really have an English word besides in the south of y'all. Collectively, a, cl- a plural of you. And when he says, you must build yourselves up, he's not talking to each individual in the church. He's talking to the church at large. You all must build even your all selves, collectively, yourselves up. That just as false teaching can lead multitudes away, you can also lead multitudes away from false teaching. That salvation is often, as we talk about it, is used as individuals. But when we think about how it's used throughout the scriptures, it's not just in an individual sense, it's also speaking of the church. And you think about how the church and the illustrations that are used 
throughout the New Testament of that of the church. That is a flock. And a flock is not merely just a single sheep, but many sheep. A vine, not just a vine with one branch, but a vine that has branches. I am the vine, you are the branches. A building that has many stones. A family that has many children. A body that has many members. And when we're left to our own devices, we might come up with some unbiblical interpretations of Scripture. How do we contend for the faith? And we might in our own rooms, and our closets, be able to come up with a reason of how we are to contend. But here Jude is saying that we must do it together. That the best way to read your Bible is with other people around you. To be able to talk theology together. Not only those who walk and talk in this very day, but also those who have gone before. The great theologians of the past who have gone before us. But when we also talk about building each other up, we need to understand that this term merely does not mean that we are built at one point, but it is an ongoing progress. The Christian life is not merely just a single project that is done overnight. But you might say it is a multi-leveled skyscraper that takes years to be able to complete. When we're living in North Carolina, there is a Highway 85, and this highway, uh, Interstate Highway 85, was always under construction. And you talk to people, and it has always been under construction. 30 years, they finish a part, they get to the other end, and then they have to go back and add another lane. It's always under construction, and so too, the Christian life is just like that. We are always in the process of being built. But specifically, in my experience and credentials, I feel that nothing surpasses my education when it comes to building, and I use it very commonly when we're building together with my children. And one of the principles of building is that you must begin first and foremost with a stable base. As they are beginning their Duplo towers and they're seeking to be able to go up as high as they can go. I tell them you need to plan first what you're going to build it on. You need a good base and a foundation. You see this and most of the common building problems that are caused is from an error in the foundation. You can't have a foundation that is small. To be able to build something solid, you must begin with that good and solid base. And that's what Jude is exactly talking about. That as we build each other up, we build each other's up in the most holy faith. Now we mentioned this, this is the terminology that he uses in verse 3. That as we contend for the faith, it's not merely just a faith in which we come out of fresh air. It's a faith that has been handed down to us. We're not just contending merely for any faith, but the faith has been delivered to all the saints. So too, when we build each other up, we're not building upon this faith in which we just think we interpret whatever we want. That's where the false teachers often lead us. But we start and we build each other's up according to the faith which is given to us through the word of God. That the false teachers have kept in, crept in and they're denying the grace of God, turning it into sensuality. 
They're denying our Lord and Master Jesus Christ. This is Paul's exact same point in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He uses the exact same terminology and illustration. He's talking of those who have labored in amongst the Corinthians and people going, depending on the teacher's perspective. Well, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Jesus. But Paul says that we are fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building, according to the grace of God given to me. Like a skilled master, I laid the foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by the fire, and fire will test all sort of work which has been done. Paul says here, we build upon the foundation, the foundation which is the most important part, which is Jesus Christ. You build upon that, and everyone will build in different things. And some of those materials are pricely that will test the, be tested with fire and, and succeed. Others will be tested with fire and fail. And Jude says, how do you contend for the faith? The first thing is you must build yourself up in the faith. Go back to that foundation and build yourself up in that holy faith. Not just individuals, but collectively as a body. The second prescription that Jude gives to those who are contending for the faith is to be able to pray in the Holy Spirit. This second prescription is that he says those who are beloved, called beloved and kept, would pray in the Holy Spirit. Now, many people assume this is speaking of praying in tongues. And the basis interpretation based on 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now, without going into a rabbit hole of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it does mention prayer but when, and, and mentions the Holy Spirit. But specifically, when Paul is speaking about prayer, he speaks about praying in his spirit, or my spirit, not specifically with the Holy Spirit. Now, when we come to a passage like this in Jude that is a little bit hard for us to be able to understand, we go to the Bible to be able to help us understand what he is talking about. Now, you can go to 1 Corinthians 14, but you're also then turning to a passage which is not as clear. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 has many different interpretations, So you go find a passage that is clear, and I think there's a better passage than 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Actually, there's three passages I think you can turn to, which help us understand this. And the reason I turn to these is because they specifically mention prayer and the Holy Spirit. The first is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. And Paul, as he's speaking to the church in Ephesus, he tells them how to be able to stand firm in the faith by putting on the whole armor of God. Now again, we see the overlap here. That Paul is specifically addressing those who are, you might say, contending for the faith, standing firm in the faith, using Jude's terminology. And Jude mentions that contend is like this hand-to-hand soldier combat. And here Paul in Ephesians is doing the exact same as we put on the whole armor of God. And in verse 18, Paul says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. 
What is helpful about this passage is Paul is speaking about praying in the Holy Spirit. Do we see this overlap of what it is to be in warfare? The verse preceding verse 19 explain that we should have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Then Paul goes in to be able to explain that we should be praying in the Spirit. That here he has connected the Spirit to the Word and then the Spirit to prayer. So you might then say that praying in the Spirit is not some disconnected prayer, but praying in the Spirit is praying the Word of God. Praying in the Spirit is to seek and pray Scripture. Charles Spurgeon points out that his disciples come up to ask him, and they ask him to teach them one thing. They don't ask him, come up and ask him, teach us, Lord, to preach. Teach us, Lord, to be able to help others. Teach us, Lord, whatever that might be. He, they come up and say, teach us, Lord, to pray. Now, we need to learn many things in life. And I think one of the most things that we neglect how to do is learning to pray, that we think we just grow, just appear and we can pray. But prayer is something we must grow in. We must learn how to be able to pray to the, and turn to the Bible to help us guide us in prayer. We can turn and learn to that prayer that the Lord taught his disciples. But there's also many other prayers that are found in the Bible. We'll be looking at one at our evening service tonight. Where Jonah is stuck in the belly of a, a sea creature. That we can turn to Jonah too and ask and learn how to be able to pray. So when we pray in the Spirit, we're praying with the sword in our hand. The second passage that helps us interpret Jude is in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. It helps us understand what it is to pray in the Spirit. And Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You might say the, the passage in Ephesians helps us to see how the Spirit guides us in prayer through the Word. But the passage in Romans shows us that he is our intercessor through our weakness. That Ephesians teaches us that the Spirit is our guide, and Romans teaches us that our Spirit is our help. Not only are we given the Spirit to be able to help us in prayer through the Word, we're also given the Spirit to be able to help us when we do not know what to pray in our weakness. That there comes a time where we do not know what to pray. We haven't learned all we can about prayer, but yet the Holy Spirit is the one interceding for us. And the third passage or passages that we might turn to is in Galatians 4 and Romans chapter 8 again. The first two passages, I think, help us to be able to see the connection, the direct correlation between prayer and the Spirit, because those things are directly uh, quoted in those passages. However, these passages in Galatians 4 and Romans 8, I think, can, can help us connect to the passage in Jude, 
Because just previously in verse 19, he said that this, the, the false teachers are devoid of the Spirit. And now he says that we're to pray in the Holy Spirit, and these false teachers are devoid in the Holy Spirit. Then he tells the true believers to pray in the Holy Spirit. The, the truth is that you can only truly pray if you are truly a believer. Paul in Galatians 4 and Romans 8 verse, 8, verse 14 and 17 points out that the Spirit gives us that seal of adoption that we might be able to cry out, Abba, Father. That we might be able to go to Him in prayer. That Ephesians and Romans 8 teach us what it means to be able to pray in the Spirit as His guide in Scripture, as, as a weakness. But how do you even pray in the Spirit? You must have the Spirit as our seal. That the true believer has had their hearts changed. No longer slaves to the flesh, but are children of God, fellow heirs with Christ, that we might even be able to pray our Father who art in heaven. The third prescription that he gives to us is that we're to keep ourselves in the love of God. Keep ourselves in the love of God. As he continues to write to those who are called, beloved, and kept, he then tells them they should keep themselves in the love of God. Now, in the original language, it's quite clear to see the order. The first two, and even the fourth point we'll look at, all are subheadings of this one major statement that we are to keep ourselves in the love of God. So it's not then that we are trying to keep ourselves, trying harder to keep ourselves in the love of God. For we see in verse 24 that it is very clear that we are kept by Christ. But how do you What does it mean to be able to keep yourselves in the love of God? Well, you are to build yourselves up in the most holy faith. You are to pray in the Spirit. You are to wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And as we think about those things, we need to see that it becomes not about what we do, i.e., you know, just building or praying, Awaiting. But when we first understand that it is God who has blessed his church and blessed them to be able to carry out these things, again, praying in the Spirit, it is God's help that we pray in the Spirit. The focus is not on the, the, the praying, the focus is on the Spirit and what the Spirit does to be able to help us to pray. The focus is not on building each other's up, per se. The focus is on on that we have been given a faith, a foundation found in Christ that we might be able to build upon. These are blessings that the church have received. One another, fellow believers, the fellowship with the Holy Spirit that helps us to pray. Now, how different this was from those who might call the God is love crowd. Who think it is then about themselves. They exalt themselves. 
But here we see the focus is God is love. That it is God's love which is shown to us. Has been given to us. Through this fellowship of believers as we build one another up. As the author of Hebrews puts it so well. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who has promised is faithful. Let us consider how to spur one another on to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some in the habit, uh, the habit of some, but encouraging one another as all the day as you see the day drawing near. Again, the focus is on him, the one who has promised and his faithfulness. Especially when we think about the context of why Jude is writing this letter, we must consider the truth concerning this false teaching. Thomas Schreiner put it better than I could ever when he said, It is insufficient for believers to attack the false teachers. They must take positive steps to continue in the love of God, or their own love of God will slowly wither away. Love for God cannot thrive when believers devote all their attention to the deficiency of others. They must continue to grow spiritually themselves. That if we just sit there and look and point at all the false errors that we see in this world, sin of other believers, sin of outsiders, sin uh, within the church, false errors and teaching, but yet we do not devote ourselves to keep ourselves in the love of God, then what happens is our attention focuses on this and what we diminish is that we don't grow ourselves in the love of God. But as we turn and learn about false teaching, what false teaching should drive us to is correct teaching, where we fall and fall on our knees in correct worship. When you start to to realize the deficiencies in denying the grace of God, you start to realize what the grace of God truly is as a true believer, and you continue to grow in your understanding and your love for God that leads to worship. So we must keep ourselves in love of God as we seek to, to, to show mercy, as we will see in, in the coming verses, in different ways. But... We all must grow in the love of God. We shall never grow stale in our love for God. But the final prescription that Jude prescribes also falls underneath that of keeping ourselves in the love of God is that we are to wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Again, in this short phrase, it packs quite a punch when we think about it within the context of the false teachers. What is it the false teachers have been kept for? In verse 6, we're told that they're kept by Christ in eternal chains until judgment day. And then in verse 7, that these false teachers are kept and they will face the eternal fire. But yet, in context, the Christians, the true believers, are waiting for the Lord to return. Those who are called and beloved and kept are not waiting for eternal fire, eternal judgment, but eternal life. 
David Helm, I think, summarized this quite well when he says, hope is a potent motivator for present action. Hope is a potent motivator for present action. It's not that we merely are just sitting here waiting and doing nothing. It's an active form of waiting. That as we build each other up, as we point each other forward and to the hope of Christ to be able to return, as we suffer and, and struggle in this life with our sin, with the situations we find ourselves in, we encourage one another as we look for that day that is drawing near. As we gather together and pray in the Spirit. That we're waiting, we're praying. As we're being kept in the love of God. But also in this we see. Then in all of the errors and the false teachings that we saw in the illustrations Jude explains, many of the false teachers did not receive that judgment immediately. Judgment came, even for those angels in verse 6. Judgment will come. That they did not receive that judgment when they sinned. Well, the opposite is also true for believers today. We also wait, not for eternal judgment in fire, that we do not receive the perfect church right at this very moment, but we're waiting for that mercy to be shown to us on that last day. As we contend for the faith, we need to be reminded that the gate of hell will, prevail, will attack the gate of the church. It will not prevail. We contend today in hand-to-hand combat fighting of the battle of the truth and the true doctrines found in, God, in the word versus the error which is always creeping into the church. But we will not see that final victory until Christ returns. We, we know that this church, no matter what church it is, will always have a mixture of truth and error. We know that we will not see the perfect church until Christ's return. And it is often what fuels the soldier on the field is hope. Often soldiers would take a personal item with them into the battlefield. And that personal item would give them motivation. No soldier would go and take with them personal items of war. They would take things that would remind them why they are fighting this war. They would remind them the hope of the end the freedom which they fight for, for their family or their country. They would fight with hope within their heart for their fiancé or their wife or their children, their family, their friends, their hometown. They would fight for that victory at the end, knowing that this battle might not be the end. 
So in this life, we keep ourselves in the love of God, always thinking of that hope which motivates us in the end. Thinking of that joy which is to be found when that war is finally over. The remedy to this false teaching is to find true teaching. And as Paul said, the only foundation which is worth building upon is the faith of Jesus Christ. The hope of the gospel found in Jesus Christ. The remedy to all of this is not to make another false correction but to find hope in the good news of Jesus Christ. Not denying the grace of God and turning it into sensuality. As Thomas Brooks points out in his book, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices, the remedies are always Christ. We might apply the ointment in different areas at different times or focus on different aspects of the gospel, but the remedy is always the same. The prescription that Jude writes is always centered around the same thing, Christ. That we focus on Christ as we build one another up in this most holy faith, as we encourage and exhort one another, pointing each other to Christ. Let us do so. As we pray in the Holy Spirit, and we pray with one another in Christ's name, As we confess our sins, let let us take him to Christ in all of our weakness. As we wait for Christ to return, let us think about what Christ has done and promised for his people as we encourage and exhort people, as we go through sufferings and, and, and struggles in this life. As we keep ourselves in the love of God, let us hold fast to Christ, the one who keeps us. He will present us with great joy in the presence of the Father. Only through Jesus Christ. The Christ is the one who keeps us. Although our grip may be weak, his grip is firm upon our hand. So how do you deal with false teaching? You look to true teaching, true gospel, which is found only in Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. O gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise that throughout this letter of Jude that we have been encouraged. Lord, we have seen the weakness and the folly of that false teaching which perverts grace. Lord, that denies Christ. But Lord, let us not merely just be looking at the false teaching. Lord, let us be moved to worship and adoration to what is found in the true gospel, in true teaching. Let us hold fast to that faith. Let us build one another up. Help us as we pray. Lord, help us as we are filled with hope, waiting for Christ to return. In all of this, Lord, keep us in your love, that we may never depart or never know outside of what that is. We pray in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. 
please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.